All right, we are in our Big Words series, um, which is just a summer series that doesn't have to have anything to do with the other one and that sort of deal. So we're going through a variety of important words, important concepts uh, in Christianity, in the faith. Uh, we've covered love. That took two weeks, which I wanted to get done in one. And uh, now we are covering a less positive uh, subject matter Today we are going to talk about shame. Today we will talk about shame. That is a big word. It's a very central, I think, concept to Christianity. And unfortunately, shame for centuries has been kind of the bread and butter of the church. Now that is a, that is a sick distortion of the gospel. Would you agree with me? Shame is not what Jesus was about. If shame is what Christendom stands for, that is a sick distortion of the gospel. And so we need to make sure that we don't get taken in by that and get pushed around by that. And that can happen without you even realizing what's going on. You can be bound by shame and not even really understand what's going on. It's just how you've always been. It's the way that the relationships that you've had through your family, through other things, it's just your way of being is a shame-based way of being. And that's something that we need to break. That's something we need to conquer. That's something we need to overcome. Let's read Romans 8, 1 through 4. We'll read that, and then we're going to uh, talk about a few more things. How you, how's the temperature? You guys doing good? Getting cold? Feeling good? Everybody's happy? Wow, that was like universally they're happy. That's, you're never supposed to ask, you know, what's the temperature like? Because half the people are like colder, and the other half are like warmer, you know? And so then you've kind of set yourself up. But Romans 8, 1 through 4 says this. Look at that one. Man, oh man, we could spend the whole rest of the summer on this verse, but uh, we're not going to. You can pray about it yourself and just seek the Lord on the, all the different things that this means. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. All right. We're talking about shame. Let's define shame. I googled shame. Wanted to get a definition. I found two definitions that I think are very... Uh, very apt, but also uh, are different in their nuances. I think shame means different things to different people. And so we're going to look at two definitions. The first one was just the big Google definition. Do you guys have, do you have that for me, Seth? Awesome. Yay, computer text. This is the Google one. Shame. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I'll read that again. 
a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. That's a great definition. I think that is the the purer definition of the two. This is actually potentially good shame. Being aware that you've done something wrong and feeling bad about it is okay. We want to diminish that in your life as time goes on. (laughs) But it's okay to realize you've done something wrong and feel bad about it. All right, the next one from, I think, about.com. Shame is an emotion in which the self is perceived as defective, unacceptable, or fundamentally damaged. You read that again. Shame is an emotion in which the self is perceived as defective, unacceptable, or fundamentally damaged. This is existing in a state of shame. The specifics are gone. Instead of, wow, I feel bad for backing into that person's car, now it's, wow, I feel bad because I'm just a rotten human being. I'm just fundamentally flawed. I'm just no good. That is bad shame. That is what we would call in Christian circles a lot of times condemnation, which is the the devil's attempt to get you to think that you are just a pile of garbage. Now, unfortunately, I think the church has unwittingly facilitated that misunderstanding. And let's... uh. Uh, let's talk about that. Have you ever met somebody who should have been ashamed of their behavior, but they weren't? Anybody ever met somebody like that? How do we help them realize that what they've done is wrong? That what they've done is foolish? That they've really, really failed God? That they really are a bad person. How do we help someone realize that they should be ashamed when they're not? Do you see how quickly that turns into something potentially dangerous and something ugly? That turns real quickly. So I think what's happened... Oh, I need to say this. It's good to have notes. You know what I mean? It's a real good thing. Absolutely good for me. I get distracted by stuff. I might as well be distracted by my notes. So this, this shame thing is a feeling or an emotion that's based on a perception of yourself. It's based on a perception of what you've done, who you are, It's based on your perceiving of you. What do I think of me? Shame is in that. It's a perception of who we think we are. Have you ever had a misperception? You thought something was the case, but something else was the case. You thought you saw uh, water, but it was a mirage. Sometimes we misperceive. Might we misperceive about ourselves? Oh my goodness. Our eyes point this way. We're real good at finding everything wrong and everything about everybody else, but can be completely oblivious to ourselves. 
there can be misperceptions. And as we've mentioned already, some people should be ashamed when they're not. They misperceive who they are. They misperceive their behavior. They should realize it's wrong, but they misperceive it. So here's where the church, I believe, has missed it. Here's where Christendom, I should use the word Christendom, because that sounds more derogatory, doesn't it? The church, I want to be a good thing, you know? Maybe Christendom, we can redefine that in some sort of negative way, you know, the ick, the religious ick thing, that's Christendom. That's just my definition, so don't run with it. Um, but here's, I think, where it's been missed in Christian circles, is in the uh, the overdoing of making sure that everyone is fully aware of everything they should be ashamed of. Overdoing making sure that everyone is fully aware of everything they should be ashamed of. And I think it's even gone past that, of conjuring up shame where it's not even appropriate. Where, I mean... I ask you guys this all the time. Can you ever really read your Bible enough? Absolutely. God is not unreasonable. Can you ever really give enough? Sure. But why do you have to answer it the other way? Because we're always wrong. We're always fundamentally flawed. We've always got something wrong with us. We have to have something wrong with us. It's foundational to our theology. That theology needs to change because it's a sick distortion of the gospel. Amen? This, I was putting the notes together this morning and it, it made me weep. Just thinking how many people need to be free from misplaced shame and how many people have inadvertently had that put on them by Christendom the thing that should set us free has brought perceptions of shame that are inaccurate that are misperceptions so I guess the idea with the church was to bring people to repentance. You know what I mean? Because like, you see somebody who's, they don't know God, they, they're just completely happy with their sinful lifestyle, and so you want to make sure they feel bad about themselves, so they cry out to God. Right? <laughs> Isn't that the system? Oh, we're like about 50-50 on that. Uh, I mean, you got to make sure they know they're sinners, right? And if they don't get it, what do you do? You just say it louder and get more creative and say it over and over. And that is what we call shaming. It's a different shaming is trying to get somebody to feel shame. And bad shaming is trying to get somebody to feel shame so that you can manipulate them or so that you can control them or to benefit you. That's bad. So I think the idea was to bring people to repentance. But it ended up creating a shame-based religious structure. And that's just as sick as a shame-based family structure. Shame-based family structures are icky. 
It's all about making sure that so-and-so doesn't get mad because of what you did and you're walking on eggshells and, you know, oh, I got to worry about the emotional reaction of this person or that person. And it's all about who's mad at who and, you know, all that stuff. It's all about shame. It's all about I don't like you. I'm mad at you right now. That's a shame-based family structure and you can have a shame-based religious structure and I think many people have experienced that. And that's not the gospel. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Let's read that again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Feelings of guilt and shame can be wrong. You can feel guilty when you're not guilty. You can feel innocent when you're guilty. If you're a good Christian, you'll feel guilty for not feeling guilty enough. I think we can be ashamed of the wrong things, of things we shouldn't be ashamed of. For example, how you look, your athletic ability, your intelligence, um, whether or not you fit into a particular subculture. You know, if, if you don't have the right friends when you're in high school, you can feel ashamed that you're not in with the in crowd. Uh, when I was a kid, I couldn't read. I was ashamed of not being able to read. I hated it when people would ask me questions because I didn't have the answer and I couldn't find the answer. I remember standing in front of the card catalog one time in like sixth grade, or this was in the other school, must have been seventh or eighth grade, looking at that thing thinking, what in the world is this thing? I mean, have you ever looked at one of those things? Is these big wooden deals with all these drawers with nonsensical cards in them. And they send you to do something. It's supposed to make sense. And you, It's like, this is I could be here for a million years and I will not find the thing you sent me to find because what is this? And I was ashamed of that. So I hated not having the answer to questions. I hated it. Then I became a Christian. And that same thing translated into Christianity. Somebody asked me a question about God. I needed to have the answer. I was afraid of questions that people would ask me. So I'd be thinking about them for days. What if somebody asked me this question? I don't know the answer for it. Ah, That was such a problem. I got two degrees in philosophy to try to figure out what in the world's going on. Fortunately, I figured out I don't know. <laughs> I... And I'm okay with that. I know a little bit. You know what I mean? We, we know a little bit. We know a little bit. But I'm comfortable not knowing the rest. It's fine. You might ask me a question, I'll say, I don't know. <laughs> you expect me to know that? <laughs> it can happen. I don't want people to be ashamed for the wrong things. 
We want the good type of shame we want to turn into repentance. If you have something that you are ashamed of and it's legitimate, don't walk around with shame. Turn that into repentance and give it to Jesus. Because you know what Jesus takes and does with repentance? He turns repentance into victory in your life. So shame should go to repentance, should go to victory if it's legitimate. If it's illegitimate shame, it's just because you grew up in a shame-based environment, so you just carry shame with you, you think you're fundamentally flawed, then that just needs to be rejected. Let's work through Romans 8, 1 through 4 and see what it actually has to say. The thing that Kay said actually is the end of, it's an overlapping sentence in verses 3 and 4. And it's amazing. But let's start with verse 1. Oh man, do you know what our job is as Christians? We are to believe. We are to believe. And this is what we are to believe. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? Have you noticed that there are Christians, those who are in Christ Jesus, who carry condemnation with them? This is a promise. This is not always actualized. We have to fight for it. We have to get there. But this is where God wants us. Now, there's a difference between shame and condemnation. Condemnation is you're found guilty and the sentence of death is put on you. You've been condemned. You've been found guilty. Now, the spiritual truth is that if you are in Christ Jesus, you have been found innocent. And you are not guilty, so you are not condemned. The truth is you are not condemned. What is your perception? Do you perceive yourself as not condemned? That's the truth of Romans 8.1. Or do you still perceive yourself as guilty? As needing to be judged? As deserving the sentence of death? The spiritual truth is that those who are in Christ Jesus are free from condemnation. We want our perception to line up with that. Because that would be an accurate understanding. Verse 2. These are all good verses, man. Why is this? Why is there no condemnation? What's the process? I like to know the flow chart. Don't just tell me, well, God loves you. That's neat. How does that work? I don't know what that means. I don't I need to have the pieces put together. They get put together here. <laughs> this is really neat. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the law of condemnation. It is if you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, 
you must be destroyed. That's the law of sin and death. There is no sin in the presence of God. You've got any sin on you, you must be eradicated or the kingdom of God is impossible. That's the law of sin and death. There's another law. The law of the spirit of life. And it sets us free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. What is sin? Sin is the bringer of death. What does that mean? I'm going to define sin from those definitions of shame. Because our definition of sin is much smaller than the Bible word. The Bible word basically just means any kind of lack, any type of failure, anything that's not right about you is sin. It doesn't have to be intentional. We think you have to do it on purpose for it to be sin. In the Bible, you can be, it can be completely unintentional. You're completely oblivious to the fact that you're hurting somebody. It's still sin. Biblical concept of sin is broader than our concept. We don't like sin, so we want to we want to narrow it down as far as possible. The fact of the matter is we're set free from sin, so we actually want it to be really wide. <laughs> because then we've got freedom from these things. We can achieve that. Let's define sin as wrong or foolish behavior from the first one, the first definition. And... Sin as being a defective, unacceptable, or fundamentally damaged person. You don't want to be a defective, unacceptable, fundamentally damaged person. We have been set free from that. Let's go on to verse 3. Here we get a description of the law of the Spirit of life. Oh man, I hope we get this. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Did you know that the law was weakened by the sinful nature? God wanted His kingdom to come, so He just told people, do this, do this, do this. The sinful nature stops people from doing that. The intent of the law is to show us how to follow God. But the sinful nature stops us from doing that. When the, when the law says don't covet, it's to help you be satisfied with who you are and not to keep wanting to be other people. But then we covet anyway because the law is weakened by the sinful nature. I can't follow the law because of my sinful nature. So it doesn't actually guide us properly. What the law was powerless to do That is to make you righteous. Because the law doesn't make you righteous because you fail in the face of the law. And that's where shame-based religious structures are still based on that law. You have to be good enough. And you're not. So you're going to burn. Let's pound that in over and over and over. It's important to understand that there are two destinies. There's the one where you've received forgiveness and you're welcomed into the eternal kingdom of God. And there's the one where you've rejected that and you're on your own and it doesn't work out well. It's important to recognize that. But the gospel is the good news of this. 
We tell people the good news. If you don't like that, there is another option for you. Don't pick that one. The law is weakened by the sinful nature. Now, you may know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Do you know that? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Most people in here uh, understand that. Let's get the mechanics of it. If you read Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul in Romans, writing to the Roman church, he spends a lot of time separating the person from their sin. He's trying to push those two apart. He's working really hard. He said, okay, there's you and there's your sin. It's not you, you know, marbled in with your sin. There's, there's you. Understand, you're here, and then there's the sin, there's the stuff you're ashamed of, there's the, the lack, and there's that stuff over there, and they're separate. And he works really hard establishing that concept that you and your sin are not the same. They're different. And then look at the last sentence. So he condemned sin in sinful man. Jesus, our sin offering, something was condemned on the cross besides Jesus. You know, He took our stripes. Amen? He stood in our place and He died. And the condemnation is put on our sin. And the sin is killed. The sin is destroyed. But we remain. It's a spiritual war, surgical strike. The evil in us, the stuff we should be ashamed of, is eradicated. But we are left whole. In the Old Testament, it rained down fire on everybody. Now, you get to keep who you are, but the sin part of you is destroyed, condemned inside of the flesh, inside of sinful man. Isn't that awesome? It's like a surgery. The removing of the sin, but the, the keeping of the person. Can you perceive that? Can you perceive it? Verse 4. Sin is condemned in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Did you know the righteous requirements of the law can be fully met in you? The Bible doesn't say you sin thousands of times every day and you're just a worthless worm and you'll never measure up. It says that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Those who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Oh. Here's, here's the picture. I'm going to just give a quick explanation of what this is. The people are full of sin. Jesus sees that. And 
person and the sin are broken apart. And Jesus walks in and dies with that sin so it can be destroyed. And then He rises again to life and comes to the person and says, come and walk with Me. That's living by the Spirit. Jesus says, come and walk with Me. We're going to take communion this morning. Uh, I'll have the, the ushers hand out the elements. If you want to take communion, great. Uh, we don't check your card or anything to see if you're worthy of that. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable taking communion, don't worry about it. Just let it pass by. If you're going to take communion, make it real. Praise God. Unlike so many people, Jesus does not motivate us by shaming us. He does not try to get us to do what He wants us to do by making sure we understand how terrible we are if we don't. Instead, Jesus moves us by valuing us. Jesus does not manipulate us by shaming us. He moves us by valuing us. He takes away our sin, but leaves us whole. And then says, come and walk with me. There was a price he had to pay to be able to do that. And he willingly paid it because of how much he loves you. Because of how valuable you are in his sight. And that's what we remember in communion. We remember that his body was broken and His blood was shed and the sound of the whip is the sound of our sin being destroyed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up just after you, uh, after you partake. We're going to pray. We're going to receive communion, and then we're going to finish with a song. Uh, I'm going to have the prayer team come forward as well. And uh, if you need prayer, if you, if you have not had that sin separated from you effectively, and it's a battle. I mean, you can be in Christ and still not be set free. I grew up kind of, I don't think it was anybody's fault. I just grew up with a shame mentality. Because I always felt I wasn't good enough. It's a battle to fight through that. Just because you get saved doesn't mean all of a sudden everything's fine and you, you, you understand that properly. We'll have our prayer team up here. Get free.